So we are reading through the book of Ezekiel right now in our journey through the Bible in two years. I just want to encourage you, if you're not joined in with us just yet, or you were and you've dropped out, get stuck in. Uh, you can find all the Bible readings on our website. Just scroll down to the Read the Bible page and you'll find everything you need there. But join in. We're trying to read the Word of God together every single day. That's what we want to encourage each other to do, to hang out in His Word, to get to know Him uh, through what He has said. This, this is incredible. The words of the Creator of the universe written down that we might know Him. Uh, so we just want to spend time with Him every day and that's what we're doing. But right now, we're in the book of Ezekiel as we do that. Last week, we talked about how the Spirit of God, uh, he reveals God to us. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, leads to revelation of who God is, who Jesus is. He shows us him. That's one of his main roles, of, uh, is to reveal God to us. The Bible says that it is only by the Holy Spirit that you can confess that Jesus is Lord. That only by him, only by the revelation that he gives can you truly know and be convinced that that's who Jesus is. Um, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about the Holy Spirit over this week and next week as we journey through Ezekiel. And I want to look more at what the Holy Spirit does and who he is and what is his role um, as part of the Trinity. Now, uh, the Trinity work a little bit like, wait for it, I'm going to give you a football analogy. And if this is wrong, oh well, bear with me, I'm not a football fan. But for those football fans out there, here's a little bit of football for you. Um, the, the Spirit is a bit like, uh, sorry, the, the Trinity is a bit like a football team playing in a match. They're passing the ball to one another, setting up uh, for the goal, kind of moving down the pitch and, and getting there. So, so it's a little bit like this. The Spirit passes the ball to uh, the Father, uh, and then the Father passes the ball to the Word, to Jesus, to the Son, and then the, and the Son back to the Spirit who passes back to the Father. They, they're kind of doing this thing all the way down the pitch together, um, we see that here in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, we see that the Spirit shows up at the beginning, right? And he's, he's there, and then he kind of turns Ezekiel's attention to the Father, to the Creator, to, to God himself. Um, and then the Father speaks. He speaks. The Word comes. And John tells us that in the beginning was the Word. The, the, the Word. Jesus himself is the Word of God. That's what Word often means in the Old Testament. It's referring to that part of the Trinity when God speaks. Jesus is the one through whom all things were made and all things hold together. Well, we see that that's Jesus. That's the word. Okay, so you've got these three working together uh, there. And then the word passes back to the spirit and the spirit enters Ezekiel and lifts him up. And what happens? He comes before the father and then the father speaks. There's this, this kind of repeated pattern of the three of them working together like this tag team to reveal one another. And, and we see that as well in the New Testament. Um, the Spirit at his baptism reveals Jesus. He comes hovering on him and then the Father speaks and says, this is my son who I love. Jesus is revealed because the Spirit comes and the Father uh, appears in that as well. And then Jesus, he goes on to say uh, that he's going to pour out his Spirit. Uh, but he goes on to say in John 14 verse 9 that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Like they are working together to reveal one another and their heart to the world. In, in John 17 verse 3, Jesus says that he came that we might have eternal life. That's what he came for. 
And then he goes on to explain what eternal life is. And it isn't maybe quite what we would naturally jump to. Jesus' definition of eternal life is this. He says, and this is eternal life, that they would know you, Father. That we would know the Father, that we would yada the Father. Right? We've been talking about that word, and we'll get back to that in just a moment. Um, But yeah, that is what's going on. These guys, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're working together to reveal one another. The Spirit's revealing the Son. The Son is revealing the Father to us, all so that we might know him. And that's the story of the Bible, right from the beginning all the way through. Um, in, In Genesis, the Spirit's there hovering, vibrating, stirring up the deep darkness, almost like, come, come, Father, come here. And the Father comes in, and then by the word he speaks, and he calls forth light out of the darkness. Why? Like, why do they do that? So that they can create Eden. So that they can create this place where human beings, you and I, can intimately know God and walk with him. So that we can yada him. And, and I mentioned last week that there is this verse that keeps cropping up again and again and again in Ezekiel. Um, let me just find a couple of them for you and, and show you just as an example. They are everywhere in Ezekiel. This verse pops up everywhere. So um, let's see. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 7. Ezekiel chapter 6, verse 10. Chapter 6, verse 13. Chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 7, verse 4. Chapter 7, verse 9. Um, chapter 7, verse 27. Uh, chapter, let's skip forward a few. Chapter 11, verse 10. 11, verse 12. Chapter 12, uh, verse 16. Verse 20. Chapter 13, verse 9. I mean, I could keep going. It comes up again and again and again. And this verse is this. I'm going to do all these things, Ezekiel. And then the verse says, so that they will know that I am the Lord. Literally, so that they will yachdah, that I am Yahweh. So that they will intimately know that I am their breath of life. That I am their creator. That I am all that they need. That I am their God and their father. It's that, that name of God that's used with Moses. Earlier on in the Bible, like this is who I am to you. I am your God and your father, your lover, your friend, your breath of life. And and that is the story of the Bible all the way through. That's God's heart. Everything he does is so that you might know him intimately. How amazing is that? That's the good news of the Bible. That's the good news of Christianity. That is the hope that we have, that no matter who we are, no matter where we end up, that we can know God. Wow. Wow. And so Ezekiel is called to go forth with that message. But there's something that happens in Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2, God just, he says this thing to Ezekiel, which you think like, oh my word. Literally God's like, I'm giving you this message to say to my people. But just be aware, Ezekiel, they are not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to listen to my heart for them. They're not going to listen to the things that you say to them on my behalf. And so Ezekiel kind of unfolds and you keep reading through Ezekiel and basically the story then is the story of this prophet passionately, passionately just trying to say to the people, God loves you. Like he wants you to know him and everything he's doing is so that you would know him, that you would yachda him. But they don't listen. And so he keeps speaking. He keeps telling more words, more pictures, more visions, more signs, one after the other in the hope that they would listen, but they do not. 
And then we end up in chapter 37, which is where we're going to hang out today. In chapter 37, basically Ezekiel gets brought by the Spirit to this uh, valley of dry bones. And uh, essentially what happens there is he's, he comes before these bones and, and they're these human bones lying in this valley just outside of Jerusalem. And, and they are the bones of the Israelites. Uh, and um, after they've been invaded by the Babylonians and the Syrians and, and <clears throat> they, they've just been, some of them carried off into captivity, but many of them slaughtered and all these bones just lying there. And, is, and Ezekiel is faced with them and he says this, he says that the bones were dry bones, so dry. Basically, these bones have become like dust. Again, if you pick them up, disintegrate. They're dry. Uh, What's he saying? He's trying to give us this picture that they they had been decreated. If you go all the way back to Genesis, what happens in Genesis? God creates human beings from the dust and breath, from the dirt of the earth and his spirit, from dust. And here in Ezekiel 37, after all the messages of God saying, I want you to know me, and and all the people just saying, no, 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 this is what happens. As we reject the life-giving word of God, we end up becoming like the dust. And we become de-created. Creation, which only comes from the word of the creator, is unformed and we become like these bones. And that's what he's faced with here. You'll notice as well that where are these bones? They're in the valley, quite literally the pit um, or the abyss. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which is probably what Jesus would have been reading at the time. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, in Genesis, when it says God hovered, the Spirit hovered over the deep darkness, the Greek translation, it says the Spirit hovered over the abyss, quite literally the deep darkness, but over the abyss, over the pit, um, over the valley. This again is Genesis language. Like Ezekiel wants us to see this is what happens when we don't listen to the word of God. When we don't let God's life-giving word speak into us, we become like dust again in the deep darkness, in the tohu vavohu that Genesis talks about, the wild and waste. But there's good news. There is good news. Because what do we know from Genesis? We know that God loves to call forth light from the deep darkness. We know that God loves to speak into the tohu vavohu and bring forth order and beauty out of the chaos. That's what God loves to do. And that's why God allows these humans to keep decreating themselves to this point so that he can bring forth recreation, so that humans can him again, like they can have this Eden experience again, because that's his heart. That's his heart. Right from Genesis 3 to Revelation, you get to Revelation, and it says that God made his dwelling with them. He recreated Eden. He came back to them, and human beings and God dwelt together intimately again. That's always been his heart. That's his heart for you and for me and for the rest of this world, that we would intimately know him. And that's what God is doing, seeking to bring forth the kingdom of heaven to restore Eden upon the earth. And sometimes God lets us get to that point of complete decreation so that he then can come in and he can bring forth creation again. As you're reading through Ezekiel, you'll notice that some of these passages, you think, oh my word, like God, what are you doing? Like why? Why are you doing that? Why are you destroying that? Why are you tearing that down? Why are you speaking that into your people? And, And the reality is this, 
because his heart is so for them, because he wants them to intimately know him. And the only way that's going to happen is when they get to the point where they've got nothing else left but for God to speak life and hope into them and turn their situation around, where they, everything else they're leaning on is gone and all they have left is God. And so imagine for a moment, that you are like these people, you're living in the tohu vavohu, you're living in the darkness. Of course, when God speaks into that and he rips it open and he calls forth light out of your darkness and he takes the, the chaos and he restructures it, reforms it, breaks it apart and orders it, it's going to feel painful. It's going to feel like God's ripping things open. It's going to look messy, but God is bringing forth something beautiful out of it so that they can know him again and have the fullness of life in him again. Why don't we... Um, read together now just Ezekiel chapter 37 uh, from verse 1 to 14. It reads like this. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I, as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared upon them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Wow, let's just pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy that we find in your word. Thank you that we discover that you are faithful and you never change. Praise you, God, for that. Praise you, God, for that, that your heart for us has always been the same. 
Thank you, God, that you are a God that speaks into what is dead and brings forth life. And we pray that today, as we, as we journey through this chapter of your word together, God, that you would speak and your spirit would move and you would breathe life into us again. Come, Spirit of God, and breathe life into us again, we pray. Amen. What I want to do today is I want to just journey through um, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse by verse. So uh, let's just jump in, shall we? Verse 1. It says this, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Uh, Verse 1. Basically, do you remember last week we were saying that one of the roles of the Spirit is to reveal Well, we still see that here, right? Last week, we talked about how the role of the Spirit of God is to reveal God to us. But he doesn't just reveal God to us. No, he also reveals our own reality to us. You see, he brought out an Israelite. Ezekiel was an Israelite. He brought out this Israelite and placed him in front of a valley full of dead Israelites. This is your people. Look, this is who you you people are. Look, he's revealing the reality of the state of Israel to this Israelite, to Ezekiel. These were the literal bones of the Israelites after the various invasions that had happened in Jerusalem. And um, I think that that's part of the role of the Spirit in our lives as well. In John chapter 16, in verse 8, Jesus says that when the Spirit comes, when I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you, and when he comes, he will prove to the world that they're wrong about sin. He's going to prove to the world about the state of their sin, about the state of their hearts. One of the things that he's going to do is reveal the reality of the condition of the human heart and the state of this world and the state of sin within this world to human beings. That's one of the things that he does. And I I wonder, um, do, do we need that? You know, if we really want God to breathe life into us again, we need to recognize the reality of our brokenness, the reality of, of, of our lives because of sin, the reality of, of the dead state of our hearts. Do you really want to be alive? The first thing we need is this revelation, yes, of God, so that we know that everything that comes next is from a place of love and, 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 and we can trust him because he is a good father and, and that's his heart to create. But then the next revelation, the next revealing of reality that we need is, is of our own condition. We need to be brought out by the Spirit to the valley of dry bones. So I wonder, do we need to pray, God, lead us out to the valley of dry bones. Show us the reality of the state of our own hearts. Let's carry on verse 2. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now, back and forth, okay, moving back and forth. What is this language, moving back and forth? It's vibrating language, yeah? It's Genesis language, it's spirit language. What does the spirit do? He, in Genesis, he hovers over the surface of the deep. Quite literally, the Hebrew image there for that word is to vibrate, to stir up. And what's the spirit doing here with Ezekiel? He's, he's moving back and forth. He's taking Ezekiel back and forth among the dry bones. He's vibrating over these dry, dry bones. I wonder, I think sometimes there are things in our lives uh, that keep stirring up. Did you notice that? Sometimes you see that person or you walk into that office or, or you sit and have a conversation and that topic comes up again or, or, or you watch this program or that program or something else happens and every single time you see that person, uh, then 
that, that anger is stirred in you again. Every time you hear that conversation, that pain is stirred in you again. Every time you see that program, you're drawn back to, to that sinful way of thinking again. These things keep coming up again and again and again. It's almost like someone's stirring them up in us. We keep thinking, we, we've we put that behind us now. I've moved on from that, but it keeps coming up. Do you notice there are things in our lives that keep coming up? I, I wonder, church, I wonder, is that because the Spirit of God is hovering over the that thing in your life because he wants to speak into it he doesn't want you just to put it behind you and oh that's back there don't worry about that now he's like no I don't even want that in your story I want to transform it I want to stir it up and bring forth order and life and light and beauty from that thing that's what I want to do so I wonder are there things in your life that keep being stirred up and you keep trying to push them away but I wonder if it's the Holy Spirit that is stirring it up I wonder if it's the Holy Spirit that is hovering over those dusty, dry bones in your life, over that pain, over that anger, over that unforgiveness, under that bro- over that brokenness, whatever it is for you, over that addiction, over that way of thinking, over that pattern, that habit. Is it the Spirit of God that keeps bringing that back up in your life? Because he says, I'm not done here until I've called forth something that looks totally different and removed this from your life and made it light. I'm not done. I'm going to keep hovering over it. You know, that's what God loves to do. The uh, Bible says that everything that's brought into the light becomes light. Sometimes we, we just want to hide stuff from God, hide stuff from our brothers and sisters, hide stuff in our lives from the world. But when we bring that stuff before him, he completely transforms it. It becomes light. So I wonder if that stuff is, is being stirred up for you Maybe you need to pay attention to that. Maybe it isn't just whatever for you. Oh, that's annoying that I keep getting angry at that. That's annoying. I keep losing my peace over that. That's annoying. That person keeps annoying me. That's annoying. I keep getting stuck in that habit. Stop thinking of it as annoying. And maybe start to ask, Spirit, are you hovering over that area of my life? Because you want to do something amazing in it. Let's keep going. Verse 3. Uh, He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Can these bones live? I want to ask you today, church, and I believe that God is probably asking some of you this. Can you live free of that pain? Can you live free of that unforgiveness? Can you live free of that fear? Can you live free of that anger? Can you live free of that addiction and that habit and that way of life? Can you live? I believe that's what the Spirit of God is asking us today. Can you live? Um, It reminds me of the story in John chapter 5 when Jesus, he meets this paralyzed guy um, near the pool. Uh, at Bethesda and uh, he says to the guy do you want to be well do you want to be well I think that's a question that God is asking us today do you want to live do you want to be well you see the guy at the pool he turns to Jesus and he says I've got no one to carry me to the pool and he believed that if he could get into the waters at the pool there was this myth that the angels stirred up the water and if you were the first one in when they did that you'd be healed Loads of people gathered around this pool and he's right at the back and he can't walk. And he's saying, I've got no one to carry me to the pool. I want to ask you today, where are you pinning your hope? Is it on some distant myth that maybe if you could just get there, everything would change and be better? 
Or is Jesus standing in front of you and are you willing to look to him? Because this guy is not seeing who's in front of him. Not like Ezekiel, when God says to him, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel looks at God. He's had this vision of God. He knows who God is. And he looks at him and he says, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. His response is as if Ezekiel says, I trust you. God, if you say so, then I will believe it. If you say it is possible, I will believe it. Let's let's carry on reading and see what happens then after Ezekiel responds like that. Verse 5. This is, uh, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. This is God's response. God's response to Ezekiel is, yeah, they can because I can speak into it. Yes, these bones can live because I can speak life in them. And my breath, my ruach, my spirit will enter them and bring them to life. This is, is recreation. It's recreation. It's new creation. It's the, it's the undoing of the decreation. If we jump back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, what do you see there? What you see there is God bringing together dust and breath. You see God bringing together dirt and spirit and form living beings, human beings that were in his image that could know him. And everything's fallen back to dust here with no breath in it. And, and, and here God says, yes, they can live because I will bring it together. I will take the dust and breathe into it and make living beings. He's going to recreate this Eden experience where they can know him. Let me ask you this. Has joy died in your life? Has hope died in your life? Has freedom died in your life? Has love died in your life? Can it live again? Yes. Yes. Yes, it can live again. Yes, the Spirit of God can breathe into the things that have dried up and died, into the dried up joy and peace and love and freedom and hope, and it can come alive again and be a living being. Can you live again? Sovereign Lord, only you know. And if you say so, then we will believe it. We will believe it. Let's keep reading. Uh, let's, let's read verse 8 together. It says this, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. You notice how they were formed, but they weren't alive. The bones had come together. The tendons had wrapped themselves around the bones and the flesh around that. They, they were fully formed human beings, but, but they were just lying there in the valley with all the other bodies. No life was in them. They were formed, but they were not alive. At times, that's us. You, me, other human beings in this world. Those that don't have the Holy Spirit. Those that don't know Jesus. We're, we're formed human beings. We look like human beings, but we're dead in our sin. We're not alive in Jesus. Sometimes that's the church. Sometimes that's the church. You know, we look the part. We're doing the things, but there's no life. There's no spirit. There's no fruit. It looks like a church, but it's lacking the spirit of God. Sometimes that is the reality of who we are. We've come to life. We've been formed, but we're not fully alive. The spirit isn't in us. The spirit isn't in us. I want to read 
to you uh, one of the part of the prayer of uh, Moses from Ezekiel, sorry, from Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 and 16. This is Moses talking with God, and he says this. Then Moses said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all other people on the face of the earth? What else other than your presence, God, will distinguish us from everybody else? We need his breath. We need his ruach. We need his spirit in us. Without his spirit, we are formed but not alive. We look like a church, but we're no different to anything else. Without his spirit, we're just another charity trying to do good works. We're just another organization without his spirit we literally as human beings are walking dead like we're just a hopeless people trying to bring ourselves to life by doing good things by living up to a moral code there's no life there without his spirit we are not alive do not send us out from here lord without your presence without your spirit without your breath because nothing else nothing else will distinguish us from anybody else on the face of the earth Nothing else. We will be formed, but not alive. I don't want to be that. I don't know about you. I I want to be alive in the spirit. I want the breath of God in my life. I want to be breathing him in and out. I want his spirit to, to, to animate me. I want the fruit of the spirit to be produced in me. I want us as a church to, to, to be, uh, the embassy of the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. That was talking to Connie just last week. And we talked about how, um, how the church, we're ambassadors, and, and this, this place is the embassy of heaven. It means that when anyone comes into this place, when anyone encounters us, they should be encountering the rule and reign of heaven. They should be encountering love and joy and peace and forgiveness and grace and mercy all the time, every time. That is what heaven looks like. That is what people should encounter. I want to be that kind of church. I want us to be that kind of church. I want us to be a church that transforms the world. And that only happens by the spirit of God, only by his spirit. So how, how do we, how do we get to that point of, of, of having the spirit kind of flow through this church? What happens? Let's keep reading verses nine and 10. Let's read these together. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. How? How do we encounter the spirit of God in our church? We need to prophesy. Now, you might think, what, what does that mean? Oh, have I got the gift of prophecy? But quite literally, to prophesy, it means to speak forth the word of God, to say what God has told you to say, to speak it out. That's what it means to speak forth the word of God. So if we're going to prophesy, what we need to do is speak forth God's heart. We need, to, we need to call it in. We need to pray it in. We need to ask for his spirit to flow through us and through this church and to fill us again. 
You might think, wow, that, that feels like something way out there, something like that's craziness. I've, I hear stories of, of people that have encountered the Spirit and spiritual experiences. I've heard a story at Counterslip from years ago where the Spirit blew through the building like a wind, but that feels like a distant memory now, so unattainable. But I want to say this to you, we're not asking for something that is unobtainable. We're not, we're asking for the thing that God is most desiring. That he says again and again and again that they would yachta me, that my spirit would be in them. That's his heart. We're just asking for his heart. It's what he is longing for. And so we're not asking for the impossible. We're asking for something that is entirely possible. And our heart becomes aligned with his heart. He's like, yes, go, go, fill them. That's his heart. And we need to speak forth the heart of God. It's always been his heart from Genesis right through to Revelation that we would intimately know him, that we would walk with him in the spirit. You know, in the story of creation in Genesis, when they're in the garden and God says, don't eat from the fruit of that tree or you will surely die. And they choose not to trust his word. And then you read the story and you think, well, they didn't die. What happened? They just got kicked out of the garden. Where was the death? And you go, oh, well, maybe death entered the world a bit later. They eventually died. They weren't supposed to in the garden. But the reality is, is that is true. They did eventually physically die. But in that moment, they actually spiritually died. They actually spiritually died. You see, at that moment, human beings were both physical and spiritual. They were dirt, dust and breath, ruach, spirit. But the moment they chose to disobey God, actually the moment they chose not to trust his word, the spirit left them. They were just dirt. They were formless. Uh, they were formed bodies without life, without breath. And so when God rocks up in the garden in the next kind of scene, and he, he says, hey, Adam, hey, Eve. And he asks this question, where are you? Where are you? Why doesn't God know where they are? Well, because up until that point, they were operating in the spiritual realm and God is spirit. And while they were physically in the garden, they were spiritually in his presence, but they had died spiritually. They had died spiritually. And so God's like, where, where are you? They've left just for the physical realm. You know, God's heart was that they would know him, that they would walk with him, that they would see him and he would see them. And that's the story over and over and over again in the Bible. God longs to bring us spiritually back alive again so that we can know him, encounter him intimately, feel him, sense him, hear him, see him, walk with him. We need to speak forth his heart. Um, in Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 13, uh, Jesus speaking says this, he says, if, if you who are evil know how to give your children good gifts, how much more will your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? God is a good father. And if you ask for his spirit, he's going to pour it out because that's his heart. That's his heart. Is that your heart? Is that what you're really asking for from deep within? Because if you are, he will pour it out upon you. Um, in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, Jesus has these two encounters back to back. One of them in chapter 3 is with a guy called Nicodemus. And, and Nicodemus is, um, he's up there. Like he is religious leader of religious leaders. You know, he, he knows all the scriptures. He's, he's looked up to, people follow him. They listen to his teaching. He's the guy, right? And then in chapter 4, he has this encounter with this woman at the well. And she is a Samaritan. She is not the guy. 
She is outside. She is an outcast, a reject. She is, she is not uh, in the in crowd. And not only that, she's not just outside. She's the lowest of the outside. There's some kind of whole sexual stuff going on in her life that is messy. And she's got a number of husbands. And, and she is like lowest of the low. She's really screwed up, like kind of outside, way outside. And Jesus meets with them both. And he says the same thing to both of them. There's no difference whether you're up here or down here. However you see yourself, this is true for all of us. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you know, you must be born again. And Nicodemus being a clever guy, like, like many of us are, you know, we come back with our intellectual arguments when Jesus speaks into our life. Oh, Lord, but let's just talk this through. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus comes back and says, yeah, but how, how, Jesus, how can I be born again? How can I enter my mother's womb for a second time? And Jesus says, you're missing the point, Nicodemus. You are missing the point. It's not being born physically again. You need to be born spiritually again. You need to be brought alive again spiritually. You're physically alive, but dead spiritually. God wants to wake you up to the heavens, to the spiritual realm, to his presence. He wants to bring you alive. He wants to do Ezekiel 37 on you. He wants to breathe his breath into you. At the moment, you're just these bodies led there in the valley. But he wants to bring you to life, rise you to your feet and make you an army for his kingdom. That's what he wants to do. And in John chapter 4, to the woman at the well, he says the same thing and just in different words. He says, you need to stop coming to this well for water. You need to come to another well for water, a well that will give you living water that will spring up from within you. It will make you a well of living water. You will overflow with it. You'll come alive in it. He says in chapter 4, verse 10, if only you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask him for a drink and he would give you living water. If only you knew, if only we knew, church, who it is that we speak to, who it is that we believe in, we would ask him for his spirit. We would, because we know that he is good. We need to to, to look at Jesus again. We need to look to the cross again. We need to look to all that he has done. We need to get a vision of him. And we need to see that he is good, that he is loving, that he is trustworthy. We need to look to his word and discover that Jesus is God. He is the one who created everything. He has power over death. He is all powerful and he is good and loving and trustworthy. And, And when we see him, when we really know who he is we're not going to stop for a second to to ask we're going to be like please give us your spirit you have the words of eternal life where else would we go and we need to ask him for his spirit I want to say that if we're not asking him for his spirit probably it's because we haven't really got a clear vision of who he is Probably we believe we believe that he walked in on the earth and he died and he rose again we've got belief but we're not those living totally by faith. Remember we talked about pistis. We're not completely convinced. Because if we were, if we were, we wouldn't hesitate for one second to ask him because we'd know his heart and we trust him. That, those two verses, uh, verse 9 and 10, they, they wrap up by, by saying that they came to their feet and they were a vast army. An army is powerful and it takes land and it takes territory and it wins victory over its enemy. That's what an army sets out to do. And Jesus came as the commander of the army of the Lord. He came at the front of that to spearhead that army and to take back from the kingdom of darkness. And, and, and all that happens by the power of the spirit in him. 
When he was baptized, the spirit came upon him. And from that point, his ministry began. From that point, he started casting out demons. From that point, he started healing the sick. From that point, he was able to forgive people their sins. From that point, he started raising up the dead. That is how he did it, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know the Bible says this in in Romans 8 verse 11 uh, and in Ephesians 1 verses 19 and 20. It tells us this, that the same power that raised Jesus up from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, he was raised up. The same power that raised Jesus up from the dead is available to be in you and me. If we just believe, if we just ask, that power can bring us to life. That power can transform our lives. Let me wrap up then just by saying this, like maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't. Maybe this is the first time you're really thinking about Jesus. Maybe you've been listening about him to things about him for a long time, but you, you still haven't got to know him to yada him. But even though you don't know him, you are aware that in your life there are dry bones. You are aware that there's dust in your life. You are aware of the deep darkness in your life. These areas that you just keep getting pulled back to, sucked into again and again and again. And I want to say this to you today. I believe that probably the reason you're becoming more and more aware of them, being drawn back to them again and again and again, is because the Spirit of God is hovering over them, vibrating over them, stirring them up because he is longing to speak into them and to do something incredible in your life. He wants you to intimately know him. And maybe you're a Christian maybe you have been a Christian for years and years and years, but you're feeling like those bodies in the valley. Like you're a Christian, you are formed, you've got your bones together, the tendons on, the skin on, but for a long time, you've just been led there in the valley, just with all the other bodies, doing nothing, going round and round in circles, just sat in the same pit. You haven't yet become the army of heaven, but now, Now is the time. Now is the time for you to come alive. And how do you do that? Prophesy. Prophesy over yourself. Speak to the dry areas in your life. Speak to the dead areas in your life that the spirit would come. Pray it in. Call it in. Ask for the spirit of God, the breath of God, the ruach of God to move in your life and bring you to life. To stand you up on your feet that you might become part of the army of heaven and have purpose and hope and a destination that you might live for him. That you might see his kingdom come in your life and in the world around you. You need the spirit of God to bring you to life. Let's not carry on just being those bodies led there. Let's not carry on just being dry bones. Let's not carry on sitting in the valley in the deep darkness. Let's let the spirit of God actually do what he wants to do and bring us to life and restore love and hope and joy and peace and goodness in our lives. Prophesy the spirit of God. Speak forth his heart over you. Let me finish by reading these two verses, verses 12 to 14. Um, therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. You will live. That verse ends by saying, I have done it, declares the Lord. It is finished. 
Jesus cried out on the cross. It is done. It is all possible. It is all possible for you to be fully alive. It is all possible for love and hope and joy and peace uh, to be restored in your life. It is all possible for you not to live under that unforgiveness and that brokenness anymore. It is possible for you to live free of that habit and addiction. It is possible. All we need is the Holy Spirit. We need that power that raised Jesus up from the dead to raise us up from the dead. So I just want to invite you now to take a moment and just prophesy over yourself. Invite his spirit to come. Let's do that. Let's, let's prophesy. Spirit of God, come. Come upon your church. Come upon those listening to this today. Come upon those that are seeking you, Lord. This is our heart. Spirit of God, bring us to life again. Bring together the dry bones. Bring together the tendons and flesh. And then breathe your breath into us. Lift us up to our feet that we might become part of the army of heaven. Lord God, that we might know you you that we might take on death and defeat it Lord God that we might stand in the hope that we have in you that we might know love and joy and peace and forgiveness and hope and healing Lord God pour out your spirit on your church we pray pour out your spirit upon us and now God we just we just want to wait we want to watch and wait as your spirit moves so I'm just going to give a moment before we worship again just wait come spirit of God come spirit of God Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Bring together the dust. Bring together the bones. Places that were broken. Heal them. Bring them together. Things in our lives that have been exposed. Cover them with tendons and skin. Areas in our lives that have been weak. Bring back the tendons and the muscles to give them strength. And where we have been lifeless, Lord God, breathe your spirit again. 